0: everyone, I'm Harpreet Singh, welcoming you to the Future of Work Pioneers podcast. Today we are speaking with Peter Diamandis, who has been named by Fortune as one of the world's 50 greatest leaders. Peter is the founder and executive chairman of the XPRIZE Foundation and the executive founder of Singularity University. As an entrepreneur, he has started over 20 companies in the areas of longevity, space, venture capital and education. He's co-founder of Bold Capital Partners, a venture fund with 250 million investing in exponential technologies. Peter is also a New York Times bestseller author of three books, Abundance, The Future is Better Than You Think, Bold, How to Go Big, Create Wealth, and Impact the World, and The Future is Faster Than You Think. Peter received his bachelor's degree in molecular genetics and master's in aeronautics and astronautics from MIT, he also received an MD from Harvard Medical School. Our full disclosure: I should mention that Peter has been both an investor in and an advisor to Experify. Peter, welcome to the podcast.
1: Our great pleasure to be here.
0: You got interested in innovation at a young age. It would be wonderful to hear, as a son of Greek immigrants, what were some of the defining moments in your life that had a role in shaping you as an individual who not only was able to dream big, but also deliver on some of those dreams?
1: So, uh, yeah, there there are a few, you know, we can all look back in life and see the right angle turns, the, uh, the events, the conversations that shape your life. And in the moment, you may not know that they're that significant. I mean, I grew up in an immigrant family. My parents had both moved from... Uh, from Greece, the island of Lesbos. My dad was a doctor and my mom could have been. She ran his office and it was always assumed I'd become a physician. Um, years later, I'd go to medical school to make them happy. It wasn't my, my primary purpose, but I wanted to be a good son and, and, uh, and it served me well because a lot of the companies I've been starting of late have all been in the, uh, in the medical field. Um, the, for me, the, the biggest defining moments actually were in the space industry. I was born in 1961. Um, And I clearly remember the late 60s, and early 70s when humanity went to the moon. The Apollo program was one of the most extraordinary uh, events. And for me, this was something, you know, we were launching humans to the moon every six months or so. And it's like, wow, this is pretty cool. And at the same time, uh, there was the launch of Star Trek, uh, the television show in 1967. And that Star Trek, you know, I viewed Uh, Star Trek as showing me where humanity was going. Apollo said this is what was possible now, and Star Trek was the future. And that became my dream. And the more that the world deviated from that dream, because post-December 1972, when Apollo 17 came back to Earth, there's a huge gap until 1981 when the shuttle took off, and the space shuttle never fulfilled the promises, of, uh, of every human going to space, of anybody being able to go, um, I became frustrated and I ended up really pursuing, uh, how do I make this happen myself? And then as you know, Harpreet, there are books and conversations that shape our lives. For me, it was reading Atlas Shrugged, which I read like five times, like once a year to like inspire me of like, you know, not to be happy with the status quo, to create the vision of the future that you wanted, Um, and then a book by Robert Heinlein called the man who sold the moon. And then my first success, you know, nothing. I I took a risk. I started when I was MIT, a college space organization called students for the exploration and development of space. And the chapter started at Yale and at Princeton and at Harvard. And all of a sudden there were hundred chapters around the world. And this, you know, 19, 20 year old kid, was all of a sudden running a, a global nonprofit organization, but it was like, wow, you can actually put an idea out there to the universe and have it become real. And that, uh, that got me hooked, got me hooked as an entrepreneur.
0: Without exaggeration, you're one of the most optimistic people I've ever met. What is the source of this unbounded optimism?
1: I'm optimistic for a number of reasons. I look at the data. Um, not the data presented by the news, because you know, what I remind everybody is that our brains uh, evolved for a very different world, a hundred billion neurons in our brain, a hundred trillion synaptic connections, and our brains are wired to look for danger. And uh, because that wiring a part of our temporal lobe called the amygdala would save our lives a hundred thousand years ago. If there was a rustle in the leaves, you thought lion, not wind. If you saw a scraggle on the ground, you thought snake, not stick. And the 0.1% of times it was correct. It saved your life. But when you activate that part of your brain, you go on red alert and you are, your adrenaline's pumping and your pupils dilate. And today um, that kind of danger alert is bombarding us from the news media. Every digital camera out there is recording a problem, a protest, a murder, a robbery, whatever the case might be. And while it used to be that you would only hear about things local to you, like, oh my God, did you hear about Mr. Jones? Now you hear about everything around the world and it feels like the world is coming to an end. But the reality is, what it is, is the news media abusing us because we pay 10 times more attention to negative news and positive news. And, you know, Let's not let's be clear about this. The news media, uh, their business model is to attract your eyeballs to their advertisers. That's how they make money. And so they don't uh, share an equal amount of good news. You know, it's 10 to one negative to positive. Open up the newspaper and count the articles today. Um, It's very clear. And uh, and, you know, it's not to say that negative things aren't happening, but it's just not the full story. And so I spend at max 10 minutes a day looking at the news or reading the news. I get it in a very prescribed fashion, uh, but I've created my own news source. It's a it's a product called Future Loop. It's free. anybody can get it. Uh, future L O O P dot com, and it scans millions of articles per day, but it's looking for news that is abundance minded, exponentially minded, uh, breakthrough or moonshot minded longevity-minded. It's all of the positive breakthroughs that are transforming industries. And it's amazing how much stuff is going on that we never hear about. And so, you know, I think about this, Harpreet, you're in this business, right? You know this more than anybody in in Experify and the the teachings you do at Harvard. Um, a, A neural net is only as good as the data you train it with. If you train it with negative data, it's going to see the world as negative. Uh, I train my brain, my neural net, with information which is exponential, abundance, longevity, breakthroughs. And so I see the world in that way. Um, I, you know, The news media couldn't pay me enough money to watch the stuff that they throw at my brain. I mean, how dare they do that? And I, I guard it with my life.
0: That's, that's fascinating. I, I, I agree that there's a lot of negativity out there and one has to be mindful of what we are watching. As you may know, Peter Thiel has been advocating that higher education is overrated and kids should drop out of school to build startups. When you look at your own training at MIT and Harvard, do you think you could have built the companies that foster innovation without serious higher education?
1: That's a great question. Uh, You know, I would say I use 1% of what I learned in school today. Maybe that's generous, maybe 0.1%. What I learned at school was how to learn. And what I learned at school, a lot of the skills I learned were, were the things I did extracurricularly, like starting my SEDS organization or starting International Space University, which I started as a graduate student, I learned how to speak from the heart. I learned how to present my ideas. I learned how to recruit people. I learned how to inspire. I learned how to market. I learned how to sell. Those weren't courses. That was stuff I did driven by my passion. Now in all fairness, I learned a lot of great ideas and vocabulary in aerospace, that I would use in my space companies. And I learned a lot um, in medical school and my last four companies have been in the longevity business. Um, And so probably, you know, there's great stuff there, but you know, I've known Elon since 2000 when he sold PayPal to eBay and he became passionate about space and he learned what he learned from opening up textbooks and hiring smart people and doing what you know building what he had to, so I think the single most important attribute for any entrepreneur is having a vision, a passion, what I call a massively transformative purpose, and a moonshot and then you 'll learn what you need to learn uh, or find the people you need to find. Um, you know School is just a format for that and a way of showing people that you 've done certain things so um, it depends. If you're a good learner and you know what you want to do, probably school is not a good place. I would rather say go and find a great mentor and intern for free rather than paying, you know, $80,000 a year for someone else to try and teach you. Your mentor will, you know, say, oh, I got a great student. I don't have to pay them any salary. And you save 80K a year and they save 80K a year. So that might be the way I would advise my, I have two nine year old boys, how I might advise them. I don't know if college is gonna be a thing for them in 10 years.
0: Yes, no, things are moving rapidly, especially with this COVID thing, uh, you know, everyone moving online is uh, really changing the paradigm of education. Uh, so before we move into your latest book, I, I wanna, for the benefit of our listeners who are listening to you for the first time, Have you defined some of the terms that you have been using, abundance, exponential technologies, some of the things that have been uh, fundamental to your work?
1: Sure. So um, over the last, so my life began focused on space. We talked about that a little bit. Um, I've started a number of space companies and that became, you know, really, I believe that those alive today, we're going to see the human race move off the planet irreversibly. Uh, to the stars. It's going to happen in the next 20 years in an irreversible fashion. As we head to the moon, as we head to Mars, as we head to the asteroids, the is being enabled by folks like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and many others. Um, and that's been great, but it was about 12, 13 years ago, which I became very enamored with a field I'll call exponential technologies. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Ray Kurzweil, who's a dear friend, a mentor, a co-founder, of Singularity University with me, had written a book called The Singularity Is Near. And it was areas of technology that I understood. Exponential is a simple doubling. It's something that's not growing linearly, it's growing exponentially. Linear growth is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. In 30 linear steps, I'm 30 meters away. Exponential growth is a simple doubling, one, two, four, eight, 16, 32. In 30 doublings, I'm not 30 meters away, I'm now a billion meters away. Put differently, I've gone 26 times around the planet. And while we humans think in linear terms, the technology we're building is growing exponentially. Uh, The number of transistors per dollar on a silicon chip is doubling every 18 to 24 months. Some of us may know that as Moore's law. But on top of this computational exponential growth are all these other technologies growing exponentially. Uh, sensors, networks, AI, robotics, 3D printing, synthetic biology, augmented virtual reality. All these technologies are doubling in power year on year on year. And these are technologies that are changing our world. And they're technologies that many of us take for granted. The fact that Harpreet, you and I are sitting here uh, in on Zoom, having this conversation in high fidelity for free. Oh my God, I remember back 20 years ago, the bandwidth to do this would have cost us a tremendous amount, or on FaceTime, any place on the planet, or that you can talk to your little device in your hand, ask it any question and have it, you know, literally provide an answer. I mean, like, you know, uh, let's see, Siri, what is the GDP of Ghana? As of 2017, The GDP of Ghana is $47.3 billion. You know, so a random question, but that saves me time. I would have had to have gotten into my car, gone to the library, see if I could find the right book. Oh, this one's five years ago. Which library has an updated copy? And maybe that would have taken me an hour. I got the answer that's accurate instantly in seconds. That's an amazing world of exponential technologies and we take it for granted. So that's exponential. The other field I talk about is abundance. My first book was a book called Abundance, The Future is Better Than You Think. And in it, I look at how these technologies are transforming the world. So let me define abundance. Abundance is not about a world of luxury. Abundance is about a world of possibility. In an abundant future, every child born has access to all of their basic needs. So today, a child with a feature phone has access to the world's information, has the ability to call anybody anywhere on the planet, has the ability on this phone, uh, you know, if you look at what you can get for free on a a, um, Android phone, because that's the dominant species of phone on the planet... You can get millions and millions and millions of dollars of free apps compared to what I would have had to pay for those same things 20 years ago. And, you know, energy, we used to go and kill whales on the ocean to get whale oil. Then we ravaged mountains for coal. Then we drilled kilometers under the ground for oil. And now we're entering a world where renewables, which are are free. You know, the sun coats the earth in 6,000 times more energy than we consume as a species in a year. And it's dropping precipitously. And we're gonna, all fossil fuel will be gone within the next 20 years. We will be in all renewable energy economy. And the poorest countries in the world are the sunniest countries in the world. If you have abundant energy, you have abundant clean water. If you have abundant clean water, half the disease burden goes away. So all of these dominoes tip. And so that's how I define abundance. Um, and it's an amazing world, and 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 we just don't we we forget how much the world has changed.
0: In in your recent book, uh, the future is faster than you think. You argue that every major inner industry on our on our planet is about to be completely reimagined. Can you give us the macro view of how you see this change happening?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so again it's these technologies and it used to be that any single technology was amazing but today it really is um, shall we say the convergence of two or three or four of these that are creating um, that are creating new business models right uber airbnb even youtube all these things are business models that are from converging technologies and um, when I think about the biggest uh, industries in the world, education we talked about earlier and healthcare, the two that are in my sights, they're, they've gotten uh, very inefficient, uh, very, they're baroque and broken in my mind. And they're sitting ducks for complete disruption. Uh, and that disruption will come from the convergence of AI, uh, augmented virtual reality sensors. You know where today education still, despite the current efforts, uh, is mostly all the sage and the stage. Half the students are are lost. Half the students are bored. Rather than an AI knowing the student's exact language skills and knowledge and being a tutor of one helping that student, understanding what inspires them, and then putting them into a virtual world where they can go and study ancient Greece by having a conversation with Plato as an avatar that feels like you're there and is embodies amazement for you. And you remember it because of the, of the sense of place that you have. So all of these things are gonna change and healthcare isn't healthcare today. Healthcare is sick care. The system takes care of you for exorbitant dollars only after you're sick versus a future in which your AI, your version of Jarvis from Iron Man, for example, is monitoring all your blood chemistries minute by minute throughout the day, identifying any aberrations in the moment. And all of this healthcare is taking place in your home or where in your car, wherever you happen to be. Anyway, a lot of changes coming every single industry.
0: That's that's very interesting. So what are you most excited about, Peter?
1: Well, you know, what I'm excited about recently, so I talk about and I teach those I mentor in my Abundance 360 community, I, I teach them about finding their massively transformative purpose. What is your MTP? What is that emotional energy that drives you? And my MTP as I grew up was in space it moved to solving the world's biggest problems with the x prize and singularity university right now my and i update my mtp every you know 5 years or so today my mtp is to inspire and guide entrepreneurs to create a more hopeful compelling and abundant future for humanity so i love turning entrepreneurs on i love inspiring them and helping them see the big world that they can solve and how that they can make the world a better place. Right. I teach the world's biggest problems, the world's biggest business opportunities. Want to become a billionaire, help a billion people, right? These things are in line with the world of abundance and creating wealth. And that's a great thing altogether. And so I've been focused to a large degree, Harpreet in helping people create mindsets. You know, if I were to ask you, you know, the greatest entrepreneurs on the planet, know whoever you think they are richard branson larry page elon musk jeff bezos steve jobs pick your favorite bill gates what made them succeed was it the money they started with the technology they started with or was it their mindset and i would argue and i think you would agree their mindset is probably the most important thing if you took away their money and their tech and you kept their mindset they would rebuild it and so if mindset is the most important thing for an entrepreneur, for a leader, my question is simple. Have you chosen your mindset? Do you work on building your mindset every day or do you just happen into it because of the random conversations or what you watch on TV or who's around you? And so people don't take the time to shape their mindset, but it is fundamental. You know, in the AI world, which you are, extraordinary in it's like it's like saying i want my neural net to do something specific specific but i'm going to like feed it random data versus you know shaping that neural net by the data you teach it
0: what is your advice i mean where, where do you go find the right things we, we've we've discussed you know where not to find it in the news but where, where do you go and find uh so it's right
1: very, yeah, it's 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 pretty fairly basic um, in that there are certain things that shape your mindset. Um, the news we talked about, so I don't watch the news. I'll consume 10 minutes at most, typically by radio, um, uh, to know is there some major event that socially I should know about that happened today? I mean, that's basically it. Uh, so I built a, uh, a platform called Future Loop. Uh, people can go and subscribe, it's free. And it's a feed around an abundance, exponential uh, uh, breakthrough and longevity mindset. And I love it. It's amazing. It's amazing what's going on in the world that people don't see. Um, It's who you hang out with. Uh, You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So who are you hanging out with? Who do you want to hang out with? You know, if you're overweight and you want to get skinny, hang out with skinny people. If you're not in good shape, hang out with people who are in good shape. Or hang out with people who have the right mindset. So I ended up creating a community uh, called, you know, Abundance Three Hundred and Sixty. People who are interested, you can go to a 360com and find out more about it. It's uh, about uh, three hundred and sixty entrepreneurs, CEOs that I mentor, um, and I. Those are my community who I hang out with, and we reinforce our mindsets. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's. What are the posters on your wall? What does your coffee mug say? What is the latent background that you're in? What are the events you go to in your life? Are they like complaints, you know, complaint-ridden events? Or are they events that inspire you and show you what's possible in the world? It's pretty basic stuff. People just need to stop and notice what's influencing the way I'm thinking right now. Who is influencing the way? A lot of times it can be your family members, right? They have a direct, you know, interrupt directly to your heart and your brain and you just got to sometimes guard yourself about that
0: When discussing the future of work you mentioned that the future of technological unemployment I'm, I'm quoting here comes down to a key challenge of human machine collaboration So, how do we deal with this challenge?
1: So the reality is that eventually we will have human level AI. I believe so. Do you believe so as well? I do. I have. Yeah. And then a few moments later, if let alone a year later, we'll have superhuman or above human AI. Until we get there, um, AI and the derivative technologies are our collaborators. And I think it's fundamentally, critically important for any leader or any entrepreneur. Any executive to understand how do you use technology to amplify yourself, and how do you use technology appropriately? Um, you know, we need to automate the routine and humanize the exceptional. I think that's uh, a quote from uh, from The Four Seasons, but it's true across the board. Uh, you know, AI should be doing the stuff that's routine. Um, and we humans should be doing the things that we do best, empathically, connecting, relating, inspiring. Um, ultimately, you know, medicine today, a lot of the stuff that doctors do is ridiculous waste of time. That should be done by AI. And doctors should be spending more time with, with their patients, feeling them, speaking to them, understanding them, being empathic with them. Um, At the same time, the amount of data, for example, that we're getting from a typical digital checkup cannot be understood by a human. Um, You know, we're talking about petabytes of data. And so I think we're going to, there will be a time in the near future where it's malpractice to have a diagnosis done without AI in the loop. Um, And so there's a lot coming and and our jobs are understanding the on-ramps how do you find an on-ramp, right? That's why I got excited about Experify and and shared your work with my abundance community because you enable on-ramps for people, right? Someone, it's daunting for the person who's like, oh man, I keep on hearing about AI. It's so important. You know, it's like, like, but I have no idea where to start. You know, I, I try and watch some videos and you don't need to become an AI expert. You just need to understand where... AI could be of value for you, and ultimately what data you have, what data you could collect, and what questions you want answered. If you know that, then you can start to bring data scientists to bear and build algorithms to facilitate your business. So anyway, that's my thoughts.
0: And, and in this human-machine collaboration, you see the role of brain computer interfaces? Uh,
1: in yeah, others. for sure. So I'm tracking a half dozen companies that are working on this. You know, uh, it's, it's super interesting, I think, about this. Um, our brains can't get bigger. Interesting, right? Uh, if our brains got larger, uh, we would kill our mothers in childbirth. <laughs> so it would be a self limiting force in the human race. Um, and there's an interesting analogy here. Our, com- our computers in our pockets, our cell phones, uh, have a certain amount of processing power, certain amount of brains on board. But when they're faced with a more difficult problem, like you know translating the question I asked about the GDP in Ghana, that doesn't take place on the phone. That voice, my voice file gets sent to the edge of the cloud where it gets processed, the question gets understood, it finds the information and sends me back the answer. And so I expand the capability of my phone, you know, orders and orders of magnitude by using the the edge of the cloud that it gets to over 4G, soon 5G. The same thing can happen with the brain, right? We have hundred billion neurons in our brain, and we're limited in how much we can remember or how much we know. But there are numerous companies right now that are, Building the interfaces to our neocortex that can gather the signals. We know that when you touch and feel and move and speak and think, all of these are neuronal patterns. It isn't magic. We can track it. And those neuronal patterns can be tracked and measured and then converted and understood. And then they can go out to the cloud. And the answer brought back so i can google by thinking i can there will be a point in the near future where i can think what is the gdp of ghana and magically i know the answer it wasn't in my brain but my brain sought the information from the edge of cloud and brought it back to me Uh, that leads to incredibly uh, incredible futures of telepathy with other people or connecting you know, I think about this is the future of a meta intelligence where it's not one or two, but a million people connected, sharing their thoughts and feelings and, and being able to see through someone else's eyes, sounds insane. Um, but this is where we're going. I think the world we're living in today would sound insane to your grandparents. You do what? You talk to this thing in your hand and it answers you. And I can see someone on the other side of the planet instantly for free and I can get into a car without a driver and it drives me around and it's powered by what? I mean, we forget the magical world we're living in.
0: And, and I, I think at that point, we'll probably have to reimagine education again. Right? What, what we, do we really need schools? And if so, what would they teach us? Because we can get all this information from AI. Yeah. And, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a really important point. Ultimately, I think the most important thing, uh, and you know, as a father of two nine-year-olds, I think about this, my number one mission is to help them find their passion. I was super lucky that space ignited me. The second mission is to help them ask great questions. Because in a world we're heading to, we're heading to a world where you can know anything you want, anytime you want, anywhere you want. All right, I mean, it's really... That clear, this level of omniscience omnipotence omnipresence, because we 're living in a world of a trillion sensors with an AI interface, and if you can know anything it 's not important what you know anymore it's important the questions you ask right this is in the same world of of, uh, of using data scientists it's what is the question you want to ask because you can gather the data
0: when we expand our view and look into the future in the next century or so. You've discussed five great migrations. Can you talk about these migrations and how technology will play a a big role in in all of this?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, we talked about one migration, which is this idea of a meta intelligence as we create brain-computer interfaces. And by the way, put a timeline on that. There's like, you know, half dozen companies I know of, they're probably, every government has probably got a program in some level, shape, or form. If you can increase the intelligence of your citizens, of your employees, um, that's the most important factor of anything, right? Um, If you can double the intelligence or imagine a million times the intelligence because you can connect the brain to the cloud, there's nothing more important. So I'm sure there are multitudes of secret programs going on. Don't know them, but I can imagine them. once you, you've done that, we are making a migration from the individual to the meta intelligence. And so I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I love Gene Roddenberry for what he did. The only exception is he made the Borg evil uh, in the Star Trek uh, series. And so we are becoming hopefully a kinder, gentler Borg that may scare some people. Um, and I understand that. Uh, second migration is there will be climate migrations. You know, uh, climate change is real; it's happening. Um, we're not doing enough to slow it down, uh, so we will see migrations of people moving from island nations and coastal areas inland, driven by uh, uh, rising sea and and also desert desert desertification of different uh, parts of the world. Um, there will be a migration from the real world to the virtual world, and you know uh, it's interesting. A lot of conversations are going. Oh, that's a um, an IRL event. What do you mean IRL? An in, in real life event, right? We have virtual events all the time now. We're beginning to realize virtual is a lot of our energy. But as we head with the new levels of you know Oculus Two and HTC's new headset that's coming out and apple's gear that's coming out and microsoft's gear we're going to be spending more time in a higher and higher resolution virtual world and so people are going to migrate from the real world to the virtual world where you'll spend more and more time and you'll have a virtual citizenship and a virtual existence and a virtual look maybe superpowers um, so that will be interesting Um, and then there's a migration into space and we talked and touched on that earlier that you know this next 20 years is where we're moving irreversibly to the Uh, out into space will be those who, you know, small scientists, industrialists who move uh, onto the surface of the moon, Uh, people who are following Elon to Mars, people who are following Jeff Bezos to build O'Neill colonies in free space. But uh, the Earth, to quote uh, uh, Konstantin Evraovitch Tsiolkovsky, the founder of rocketry from hundred and some odd years ago in Russia. He says, earth is the cradle of humanity. We cannot always remain in the cradle. And so that transition is occurring uh, these next couple of decades. The last time that kind of a significant transition occurred was when we moved out of the oceans onto land as lungfish.
0: Many people are fearful of uh, these changes uh, these advancements uh, in some ways. So, r- largely because, uh, you know, there are ethical implications. Um, so, how do we think about ethics in this context? Uh, you know, yeah. a lot of your work is around genetics and, uh, you know, can <clears throat> an Elon Musk, uh, you know, because he can pay more, can he uh, afford a better child, uh, you know, in, in terms of, uh, what he can do to the genes or, uh, you know, how do we uh, ensure that we remain an equitable society?
1: So let me just start by saying, morals and ethics change and people go, no, they don't. And I say, yes, they do. Let me give you some examples. Um, I imagine going back to ancient Greece to my great great, 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 great grandfather, And uh, if he was sitting there dying from a myocarditis, a viral infection, and some other person got gored by a bull, and I go and I take the heart of the man who just died and I transplant to my grandfather to save his life. uh, Today, that's a miracle. Back then, it would have been the work of the devil. Uh, In vitro fertilization, uh, which has enabled so many families was shunned by the church initially and then finally accepted. Uh, You know, when we have children, uh, any parent, loving parent, wants that child to have the best, uh, the best food, the best education, uh, the best clothes, live in the best area, all of these things we desire. Um, And in fact, when we're getting married, uh, we're looking for the best spouse which is a genetically selective hunt, someone who we like the way they look, who is successful in certain ways. And why would we not want to give that child the best genes? Now, that's a verboten conversation, and I understand the sensitivity of it. But there may well be a time in the future where it's immoral not to do that. Or maybe at least it's immoral. If you know you have a genetic um, variant to a particular gene that's not healthy, it creates Alzheimer's or heart disease, uh, why wouldn't you repair it? Um, And would it be considered wrong for you not to if you could? So there's a lot of conversations that are going to change over time uh, as science enables things with more clarity and consideration and accuracy so i think people need to realize that morals and ethics are not fixed they change in context to what's possible
0: that, that, that's a great perspective so so um do but do you do you see some instances where genetics is off limits like you you know changes are off limits or
1: i think um i mean I can, uh, of course, see nightmare scenarios where it is immoral, illegal, and I can't find a way to rationalize it. Yes, of course. Um, But I can also see places where uh, it's empathic uh, or the choice of the family. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm pushing the edge here. If you have a child who dies in childbirth um, and you can clone that child, you know, moral or illegal, or is it empathic? I don't know. Uh, is it the choice of the parents? Maybe.
0: Yeah, I saw some of these decisions uh, maybe akin to euthanasia, right? I mean, it's, there are a lot of uh, gray areas and sometimes it's the family that has to decide.
1: Yeah, I I love, you know, if you can, um, if a person can extend their lifespan 100 years, I'm assuming that that's their choice. Um, Anyway, interesting conversations coming.
0: Uh, On that point, uh, your last newsletter, uh, the title was uh, 100 Years Will Be the, the New 60.
1: Yeah.
0: And so I guess here we're talking about human longevity. Mm. So what what does that mean for our work lives? So do we uh, work longer? Do we retire at all? Uh,
1: All right. Let me, let me take this in a couple of steps. First of all, uh, for at least for men, retirement equates to death. Google it, you know, ask yourself uh, average number of years post retirement that a that a uh, male, not, female dies it's like five years don't retire you can cut yourself back or at least find a new job could be something you do not for work but you love but humans need purpose so retirement's bad um i'll just make that statement in the first place uh now we will start to distinguish working because you love working and working for income right we have to distinguish this and and part of um this is an important feature we can talk about, but longevity. So I believe that we are on the edge of a longevity revolution. Um, a friend of mine, Dr. David Sinclair, who's at Harvard medical school has written a beautiful book called lifespan, why we age and why we don't have to. And uh, it's a great audible read. If uh, you know, I promote David's book more than I promote my my own. Um, but uh, we, I just finished a, a five day longevity uh, platinum trip. Uh, my, I have my 360 CEOs that I coach in Abundance 360, and then a subset of those go with me every year on a, on a platinum trip. We had 25, and we visited uh, about 32 labs and companies, had 45 of the top longevity speakers. And I walk away from that session, as did everybody else, saying, Oh my God, we're on the verge of really um, significant extension of human life, reversal of pain and disease. And with a through path to ages of 150, 200 indefinite. So uh, this is, becomes interesting in the future. Now people say, oh my God, overpopulation of planet earth. And those are people who are buying into the media hype and not looking at the data. What the data shows us is that we're in a period of population contraction. Uh, We will peak at about nine, nine and a half billion people and there'll be a rapid fall off the United States. So the average replacement um, for uh, for, uh, sustaining a country is 2.1 children per family. The US I believe is at 1.72, so the US is shrinking. Uh, and globally, where it used to be like five or six children per family, uh, it's now down to, I think, like 2.42 children per family, and it, and it stopped, it's dropping. As we do two things, as we educate and make a populace healthier and better educated, the number of children per family drop. Japan is rapidly falling.
0: So, so the, um, if we look at this from a perspective of uh, what do people do, so they keep being productive. Uh,
1: How do we think about... um, They do what they love. How many people are doing what they truly love? How many people are working because that's the job they got to put food on the table, to get insurance because it was easy and they got trapped in a profession that they do it during the day, but their life is when they, you know close their computer right now? What if work was what you loved? Um, I mean, that's the world I think is important to create. Creating that kind of a world, I think is something absolutely possible.
0: Let's talk about exponential organizations. So if I wanna start a company today, what would be your advice? What are the ingredients that go into building a successful company?
1: So, uh, first of all, uh, I think the most successful companies that we can model are data driven, experimentalist, founder led companies. All right. Uh, so, let's break that down. Founder led, if you're starting a company, having a passion and a vision. You need to start a company uh, not on a, eh, I kind of think I'll go and do that. It's like your hair, you have to be passionate about starting a company there's a great Joseph Campbell quote, like a man whose hair is on fire seeks water. I love that. It just, it says it all. Right, um, and, and you need to have a massively transformative purpose. You need to be starting a company for something that's emotionally connected to you. So don't go do something just for the money. You gotta do something cause it's like, wow, this is amazing. I'm so excited to have a chance to do this. You wake up every morning with that passion and joy. It doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. It's gonna be hard, right? It might be an overnight success after 10 years of hard work, but you need to have that passion or it can be fueled by like, I refuse to let this go on any further. This is an injustice and I'm gonna solve this problem. But that emotional energy needs to be there, right? This is how I coach my entrepreneurs. And then the second thing is you need to build a company that has great employees that, you're, that you love, uh, the quality of your companies, the quality of your employees and your leadership. And then you have to be able to iterate on experiments um, and collect the data and make decisions based upon the data, not your opinion, not your thoughts, not what your friend told you, and if you can build a company with this virtuous cycle of great employees coming up with experiments, collecting the data, iterating on the product and service, you will live an exponential life, my friend.
0: Any any parting words for our
1: audience? Uh, again, I think you need to find. Uh, It's hard to do this on your own, right? You can find books. You can find a mentor. You know, I coach people. There are other uh, coaches out there. um, And this needs to, you know, we don't learn this in school. This is stuff I didn't get at MIT. I didn't get, you know, in any of my engineering degrees. I don't know that you get it in MBA. I think uh, for people who are looking about, do I go to business school or do I, what do I go work, get a job, go and, and mentor under somebody, go and offer yourself up for free and prove yourself that person. If they're a good person, they'll pay you eventually, but you will learn so much more than you ever will in, in business school. If you have the right, you know, apprentice to somebody, right. It's an old way of learning. and ultimately be infinitely curious. And the first step, the single most important first step, do not pass go, is what's your passion? What is your massively transformative purpose? Right. So um, I'll just offer out anybody who's interested in in the work that I do. If you go to my website, diamandis.com, I put out a free newsletter every week. pre you get it. I talk about longevity. I talk about MTPs. I talk about moonshots. And then uh, those who are further up in their career want to join me at, a, at Abundance 360. It's uh, a360.com. Right. A pleasure, my friend.
0: Thank you, Peter. Always a pleasure.